Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. In episode 69, Oscar will finish up his conversation with the former head coach of the UK tennis team, Dennis Emery. Oscar will pick up with Coach Emery heading into retirement and the direction he decided to pursue to continue his involvement with UK tennis and the athletics department. Coach Emery will reflect upon his career at UK and the administrators, personnel, and individuals that helped him become a consistent winner at UK for 30 years. Coach Emery will also discuss with Oscar the future of the UK tennis program and the future of the UK athletics program. Coach Emery shares his thoughts on his former players, his faith, biggest victories, and even playing tennis with another Wildcat legend. The impact that Coach Emery has had on his players go far beyond the tennis court, and the impact his players had on him, equally rewarding. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, the newest member of the UK Athletics Hall of Fame, Coach Dennis Emery. There was a little bit of time between the end of the season, the tournament, and your retirement press conference. I think that was in maybe early July, mid-July of 12. What went on between that last game and that press conference? Uh, when did you exercise? I mean, why did you wait two or three months to have the press conference? Well, because Mitch went out of town. You know, he had a lot of stuff that he was doing, and he was out of town, and it just didn't – you know, the timing just didn't didn't work. And then basically he got back, and he said, are you sure you want to do this? You know, and I said, I, I am. You know, so that's when we had that. The first 10 minutes you you performed very admirably, and then it just seemed like it just hit you in the face. Yeah, it's it Very emotional. Yeah, it's t- tough to walk away, you know. I – People, you know, when I'm over there and people say, hey, coach, you know, I turn around, you know, still (laughs) because I see myself as a coach. Uh, You know, like I say, I see myself as a coach in the Jerry Claiborne mode of of that. And, you know, so, you know, it's hard, you know, to walk away when you have all those memories, all that all that going on. But, you know, I felt like it was the right right thing to do. Mitch turns to you and obviously from having been here as long as he had been at that time, which had been, I guess, 10, 11 years that he had been here. He knew your connections with people in the community. He knew what they thought of you, particularly boosters who uh, had given very generously to university and asked you to become part of it. How's that gone the last six years? It's gone really well. You know, the first two years, first three years, I really – you know, I, I didn't feel like I did maybe a great job at, at that. I, I tried to, you know, uh, but 
the last three four years has really gone well. I, re, I feel like we've developed a, a great network of tennis supporters here in town, um, you, you know, across the state, actually, you know, in Louisville uh, particularly, and in eastern Kentucky. So, uh, you know, we've really reached out. The network's become a lot bigger, uh, where it was, you know, a small, very, very small group of, you know, Mr. Boone, the Vargas, uh, you know, at the time, Sam Barnes, who did the Fifth Third Bank Tennis Championships. Um, so it's gone from a small group to a big group. You know, we've had a lot of people uh, become donors to this new facility at a thousand, at $100,000 or above. Um, so that, that's been gratifying to, to see that. Yeah, you've taken it even a step higher here at the university in what you've done for the tennis community throughout the city in the county in central Kentucky. Uh, a lot of college coaches sort of leave it at the campus boundary, and you've taken it beyond that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you're the coach at Kentucky, and I think Coach Calipari is a perfect example of this. You know, when you're the coach at Kentucky, the flagship university of the state, I think you have a real responsibility to the people in the state, all over the state. Um, you know, you, you want to be involved with their kids. You know, you want them exposed to your program. Uh, you don't want to have, you know, a great program that no one knows anything about. <laughs> so, because then it's just family. It's, you know, you got you to gotta get other people involved. And, you know, I, I, really, I really took that to heart. I really wanted to, to ex- expose tennis as a sport. You know, it did a lot for me. You know, I was a little kid from New Albany that, you know, came from a lower middle class family and, you know, ends up being the coach at Kentucky. You know, dream, dream come true. Um, so I felt like it was important to go out. That's why we, we tried to, to do things like that national team indoors. You know, that exposed a lot of players. Uh, you know, this pro tournament now, the Kentucky Bank Tennis Championships, you know, exposed a lot of people. You just don't know who's, you don't know who's watching. You don't know who comes out, of, you know, who's a ball kid and, and says, you know, I became excited about tennis when I ball kitted that week for that tournament. What do you see as the future of UK tennis? in the SEC and in the nation? I think we have a chance. You know, the thing that I see about the tennis is, you know, it used to just be UCLA, USC, you know, and those were just Stanford, you know, particularly during my time. Um, Those teams were clearly the best teams in the country, you know. Uh, We started pecking away in the SEC at Georgia, uh, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, all those, all those schools became good. Now it's way more wide open. You know, they've changed the scoring format, uh, which I don't like, but that's made it more wide open, you know, for people to win. Um, you know, I think, I think we've got a real opportunity at Kentucky. You build this, this new facility, it's got to help recruiting, um, you, you know, Mitch is obviously great, you know, with these, spring sports um tell us a little bit more about the new facility what it's going to encompass where's it going to be at well (laughs) it's going to be where the current baseball stadium is um and you know they just finished that up you know they're just finishing that baseball up as you know so when when they're going to break ground i'm not sure you know i know it's a priority for mitch to do it so hopefully it's going to be soon um it's going to be six indoor courts where we 
for my entire career, you know, my entire 30 years, we played on four courts, which is a huge disadvantage, you know, because it takes three turns of the court to play a match instead of two, you know. So our matches were five hours compared to three for everyone else. You know, a lot more pressure that way, you know, as you can imagine, just because you're dealing with more stuff, you know, every single match. So 15 times a year, you're dealing with this whole different kind of pressure. Take that times 30 years and that becomes a lot of matches. So the six courts are going to really be a huge advantage for us. And then we're going to have the 12 courts outdoors. Um, just a great layout. I love it. It's you know a little more modern than than, <laughs> than 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 I would have done, but it's it's what the players are. You can just look at it and see. Oh yeah, the players are going to love this. Perfect design. Um, so uh, you know we'll we'll see. It, it gives us it gives us a chance to really recruit. I think even better. Um, it gives us a chance to maybe host some things and get more exposure for the program that way. Having been a, a former coach and now an employee of the athletics department, being a special assistant to Mitch Barnhart, how do you see the future of UK athletics, and especially with the generous uh, budget that you're able to work with now, 140 plus million dollars a year? Just how uh, successful can UK athletics be as a department? Um. I want to tell you one story real quick, <laughs> you know, it goes to that, but I think the sky's the limit for, for UK. Um, you know, Mitch has done an amazing job hiring coaches. Um, you know, you, you, he's, and he's done an amazing job of hiring some people under those coaches like Dwayne Peavy. Um, you know, so when, as long as we have those people in place, I think, the sky's the limit. You know, you got a unique, unique person in Calipari. He takes your brand essentially worldwide. Um, and, you know, the facilities that he's put in place for these other sports, you know, they're kind of ahead of their time a little bit. You know, the baseball thing, when you walk in over there, you, you're kind of thinking, what year is this? <laughs> what year am I in here? Um so I, th I think all that will stand the test of time. The, the story I was going to tell you, which is interesting, I think, was I remember sitting with Mr. Newton one time, uh, not, not sitting with him, but being a staff meeting with him, and they built the Nutter Field House. And he looked at everybody on the staff and he said, when we get this field house done, that's the final piece. That's the final piece of the facility puzzle. We'll have we don't have to worry about anything else from here on out. And you know, obviously, the clock then, never stops. Yeah, it's obviously <laughs> since then. You know, we've spent a billion dollars on facilities, or you know, not a billion, but a lot of money on facilities. So it, it, it's just interesting how it's all changed. You know, like you're talking about when I got there, it was a three point two million dollar budget, and you know, Bob Bradley was a one-man show over there in compliance and Frank Ham, I mean, in uh, academics, and Frank Ham was a one-man show over there. And, you know, it was he, something called the K-Fund, yeah. the Blue-White Fund, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Mr. Hagen had started that, actually, as the, assist, as the assistant AD, uh, which 
actually out here at the tennis tournament a year ago, he told me, he said, of the things that I accomplished as athletic director, I'm not sure starting the K Fund wasn't the most important thing that, that I did. Yeah, I guess there's a little special bonding among a small group of people here of late, like yourself and Keith Madison, Russ Pear, Bob Bradley, and over in the football, Tom Kalinowski. Yeah. You, I mean, you guys have got 40 years or so tied into this that very few people have had the pleasure of seeing it come from basically birth to adulthood. Right. And the and the beauty of it is you, you look and see where it's going and you think, wow, you know, if we have the same things happen that's happened in the last 10 years, if it accelerates like that, you know, what could happen, you know, with, with UK. So let's go back and get your memories of some people that you've been associated with from the time you got here in the early eighties. And let's talk a little bit about the eighties, Cliff Hagen, the guy that brought you here. Love Mr. Hagen. Part of it is, you know, he, he, he loves tennis, you know, he loves to play tennis and we would play, you know, when he was the athletic director, we would sometimes play twice a week during the summer, you know, when he had, when he had that time, I was, I was at the Lexington Country Club for a couple summers, and uh, he was a member there. So we play on Saturdays and Sundays out there. So I got to know Mr. Hagen very well. Um, you know, he tells me call him Cliff. It's very difficult for me to call him Cliff, you know, because just of of who he is and um, just a great guy. Was always a real straight shooter with me. Uh, really kind of told me. You know, look, I'd love to do more, but you know, we just we just don't have that kind of money yet. And I'd love to do more for you, and I think you do a wonderful job. And I'm going to take care of you all I can. Um, Florida called me one time to interview me for the job down there. Mr. Hagen said, "You don't want to go down there. You want to stay here." <laughs> you know, and it was great advice because you know my heart just wouldn't have been in anywhere. But Kentucky, and a lot of that had to do with people like Cliff, Mr. Hagen, <laughs> Sam Newton, amazingly charismatic guy. Um, you know who, again, always told you, you know, hey, this is, you know, this is where this is where you're at. You know, didn't make any bones about, you know, look, I'm I'm here for football and basketball. Uh, didn't didn't try to to act like you were. He was going to give you more than than he did. Um, great memory for me. We won the SEC championship in 1992, and uh, Mr. Newton came down to it. Um, I, I won't get off on this, but we played at uh, we played uh, during the NCAA tournament. We played at Davidson one time, and a little old guy came over to me. This would have been I don't know, you know, ninety. Who knows? Nine two, nine three, nine four, and a little guy come over to me and he goes, he goes, the man over there wants to talk to you, and I said, look, I'm coaching my team. Can you not see that I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I'm trying to be nice here, but I'm coaching my team. I, I can't just, you know. And he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll tell him, you know. So of course, then the match ends, and I walk over there, and it. It's C.M. Newton who was down there for the, <laughs> for the NCAA basketball. I guess was being played yeah. at Duke or you know somewhere in Greensboro. Yeah, 
But but anyway, Mr. Newton came down for that SEC championship, and it meant a lot to all of us, you know, for that he took the time to come down there. And, and uh, really, I really liked Mr. Newton just from the standpoint of I just felt like he uh, he understood he understood coaches you know he understood kind of what made you tick he had done it for so long he understood he understood the mentality and i thought the other thing he did great was he read people really really well glory abby great guy you know <laughs> great guy always had a good relationship with him my relationship with him was much more you know as being with cm you know knowing yeah. knowing him through cm and uh you know always viewed him as kind of the number two guy and if you got called in there that wasn't good you know <laughs> <laughs> most times and you know just unfortunately bad timing with the with when he took over and just bad luck mitch barnhart mitch barnhart you know amazing athletic director you know he's part of like the new wave of athletic directors who were not a former coach, you know, like Mr. Hagan, uh, a guy who, you know, you know, set out to be an athletic director at the university of Kentucky, where a lot of those guys, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, they, there was a job that kind of just fell their, their way. Uh, Mitch really understands how to build programs. He really understands how to, uh, the importance of the overall program. And I know everybody, this is what everybody says about Mitch, but it really is true. He was the, in that first wave of ADs who said, we're going to be good in, in all of our sports and we're going to take care of all of our athletes. And, you know, I wouldn't say he's the innovator in that, but he was in the first wave of that. Otis Singletary, I told you about, you know, my meeting with Otis. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, you know, I didn't, other than that, I didn't have a lot of contact with Otis. And by the way, Otis pick up the phone and say, you know, hey, Hillary did them both. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> he never did that. Um, and then uh, who would have been next? Uh, well, uh, David Roselle. David Roselle, I knew just peripherally, you know, and the reason was Hillary Boone loved Dr. Roselle. And, you know, so he would always try to include me in some things. But Dr. Roselle, you know, I, you know, I never felt like he was a Kentucky guy. And that's really important for me, you know, is, is he a Kentucky guy sort of. And, you know, again, his timing couldn't have been worse, as you, as you know, with, with the basketball. But the fact that Hillary liked David Roselle and his wife a lot, you know, kind of to me said, you know, this is a good person. Then to the ultimate Kentuckian, Charlie Wethington. Yes. You know, I love Dr. Wethington to this day. You know, he always stops me, talks to me. He always treated me with a lot of respect. Um, yeah, I loved him. Felt like he did it. I, I loved the job he did at the university. Dr. Lee Todd. Dr. Todd, special guy. Um you know, I think a couple of things, you know, one, he saw something in Mitch Barnhart that a lot of people didn't see early on, you know, and stuck with Mitch and, you know, everybody's reaping the rewards of that. Uh, Dr. Todd, you know, loved UK sports and really tried to be involved with all the other sports. He was the first president that really got involved with the baseball team. You know, I know he got behind 
Coach Madison, you know, he always told me, look, you know, one of the regrets I have is I didn't come out to more of those tennis matches. I would have loved to have been out there more often than I was. So that, you know, that, that meant a lot. Dr. Capilouto. Dr. Capilouto, interesting guy, you know, <laughs> very interesting guy, um, very unassuming, but very, very effective. And I've been with him, you know, in some things that he's as impressive as anybody, you know, I've, I've been around in, in his ability to, to see this is what needs to be done. This is how we're going to do it. And as you know, there's a real art to there. It's one thing to say, you know, we need this, but the university is a completely different university from when he took over. And my players, when they come back for reunions, you know, one of the things I do is I'm trying to connect UK, former UK athletes, not just tennis players with back with the, the university. And the thing they always say is, gosh, you know, this place is just physically it's just changed so much. You know, I'd say, well, you want to go over the baseball? Yeah, but I don't know how to get there now. You know, the, the dorms are all different. Shawnee town's gone. This is, you know, so, uh, I, I love people who figure out how to get things done and he figured out how to get things done here. Going back many, many years and particularly here in the last territory, Kyle Macy good enough to play for you if he'd been, uh, come along a little bit later. Yeah, and I hope he's listening to this because the answer is absolutely not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's uh, while being a great athlete, you know. But you know, I'm joking a little bit. Kyle, had he been able to play, had he not been so good in basketball, he would have been a good player in tennis. But you know, you can't take nine months of the year out and play basketball, you know, in tennis. He actually played at Purdue his freshman year. Fact that very few people know, he played number three doubles at Purdue. You guys have been very, very close. What? Give me a little bit about your relationship with him for the last ten, fifteen years. Um. Uh, well, we were we were good friends before he went to Moorhead. Uh, then we kind of lost track there, you know, because he was gone, you know, for a long time, and you know, he really committed to what he was doing at Moorhead. He, you know, he came back, and uh, when I stopped coaching, I didn't play while I was coaching. You know, people would say, you know, hey, why don't you go play? Why don't? But my one, my back wasn't good. You know, I couldn't play. Two, I was not. Uh, I didn't have time to get in shape to go play tennis. I didn't have time to. You know, I just didn't have time to do the stuff. So when Kyle, when I stopped coaching. Uh, Kyle said, let's start playing some tournaments together. And he goes, I, I've always wanted to play tournaments. I just haven't had anybody to play with. And, you know, I kind of told him, look, I'm not going to do this because I'll end up getting obsessed with it. And I just don't want to go down this road, you know. And besides, I'm going to get hurt. And, but he really, uh, what's special to me, you know, in, I think he's one of the really great people in UK athletics history because he's so humble, you know, he, he's so humble, but he really saved me because what he got me doing was playing tennis again and enjoying something that had been a big part of my life that ha I hadn't done for 35 years. And 
you know, plus when I started playing tennis, my back loosened up. I began to feel a lot better. One of the reasons why I didn't want to keep coaching was I felt like physically I couldn't do all I wanted to do. Uh, and when I started playing again, you know, I was right there. When I started playing again, my back loosened up. And, you know, so he really, you know, he's really had a big impact on my life uh, in terms of these last four or five years. You know, my quality of life's a lot better because, you know, we're able to go play these tournaments together. Now, it's a little humbling, you know, when you go to these tournaments and, ladies come up to you and and him and say can we grab a picture and he'll say absolutely and he'll say just you <laughs> you know it'll just be fine just you and you know so i told him i said after the fourth or fifth time of that i said please don't set me up like that anymore <laughs> just take your picture yeah but most exciting moment of your career as a college coach um, I, I would say, you know, winning the SEC championship in 1992, and there was a reason specifically for that. You know, we'd been second a bunch, you know, and I, I really at that point in time, I'd kind of made up my mind, you know, look, I'm always going to be second. I'm never going to win anything. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be second, you know, I'm going to, we're going to be third and you know, it's just too bad I'm not coaching a league that isn't as good because I could win a bunch, you know, but we're always going to be second. And that year in 92, we won the regular season SEC championship, but we tied for it. So it was kind of, you know, kind of one of those deals where you, you tied. And uh, so we played the tournament. We beat uh, LSU, beat Georgia in the semis. I'm sorry. We won the um, we won the semis. LSU had been to the NCAA final the year before, you know, not the year before, but maybe two years before. Great program. They had five players ranked in the top hundred. We had five players ranked in the top hundred. So, ten percent of the top hundred was on the court that day. You know, playing that match, and I went out and walked. Um, something I did a lot before we played big matches is I would just try to get by myself and uh, I would walk around to each court, pray on each court. And, uh, but that day you know, I, I walked back to the hotel by myself cause it was a one o'clock match. I walked back by myself and I just had this unmistakable feeling that we were going to win that day. You know, we were going to win that match. And, and I only had that feeling twice in 35 years of coaching. I only had that feeling twice and that was one of them. And I just, so that, that made that really special to me. Cause I just felt like, you know, I could see God's hand at work in, in that. And I've never coached a match where there was more pressure, you know, because you know, until you win one, you know, winning that first one, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure. And I never had coached a match where I had so much pressure, but felt so relaxed. You know, if that makes sense. How has faith played out throughout your career in interacting with college kids, your athletes, the game itself? Well, you know, one of the things people ask me a lot is, you know, what what's your biggest regret? You know, I wish I had uh, 
try to do express my faith more to my players. And we had players who became Christians when, you know, they, but I, I've tried to not, I didn't want somebody feeling like, oh, you know, he's buttering you up on the spiritual side and that's why you're playing him at number one or something. You know, so I tried to avoid all that stuff and just let things happen. But I wish I'd have been a little more aggressive with that. You know, how's it played out? I mean, you know, look, I was a, an okay player in college, you know, played at Carson Newman and, you know, end up coaching the winningest college player of all time, three NCAA finalists, you know, four elite eights. I mean, I just don't think you get that from where I was, you know, cause it's not like I'm the smartest guy out there. So I just don't think you get all that stuff without feeling, you know, God's hand on that. Your biggest individual Tennis victory as a team. Um, wow, you know, I would say the first time we beat Stanford, um, you know, at the national team indoors, they were the defending, they were the defending champions. Um, we had an okay team, you know, but but we really felt like we could win indoors, and you know, Dick Gould was the you know, let, let me take that back. That that was a huge win for us. But but I would say in '98 we beat '97 uh, we beat Stanford at the team indoors, and they had an amazing team. We had a really good team led by Cedric Kaufman. But they had the Bryan brothers to show you how good they were. They had the Bryan brothers who are the greatest doubles team of all time. You know, no question about it. They've won, I don't know, 20 something grand slams. Those guys played three and four on that team. Okay. To, to show you how good they were. Uh, and we beat them four, three Carlos Dorada, uh won a big match for us. Seven, six, seven, six against Mike Bryan. And, uh, you know, the other thing that was amazing about that match was, you know, I told you, you know, I only felt this way twice. We had a guy on that team named Marcus Fluitt who played number three for us, actually beat Mike Bryan that day. And Marcus' father the year before, uh, we'd, we'd been okay, a little disappointing the year before. And we lost in the NCAAs at LSU. And we flew back. We flew back and – in Atlanta, uh, somebody said, there's been a value jet crash down there in the Everglades. And, you know, Marcus came to me and he said, uh, you know, my dad's flying up today to pick me up. And, uh, you know, do you, you, don't, you don't think my dad could be on a flight, do you? And I said, no. I mean, what are the odds of that? You know, no, I wouldn't even consider this option, you know. He goes, well, he always flies value jet. So we make the flight back. You know, he lands and gets a call from his brother. His dad was on that flight and got killed. And when the, you know, I ran the national indoor, so I I knew what the draw was going to be, you know, in January. And in January, I I looked at that draw. I saw we're playing Stanford, and I just had this weird feeling, you know, look, they're, we're going to beat them. They're one in the country. We're 16 in the country. We're going to beat them. And it's, it's, this is for Mr. Fluid, you know, and 
that's exactly the way that match played out. You know, I mean, just there's there's no way Kentucky beats Stanford in that situation. So, again, you know, you just feel like, you know, I always had mixed feelings about that because, you know, if you're if you feel like God's on your side, does that mean he's not on their side? <laughs> you know, and you know, so you kind of have to deal with that. But in that one, in that one instance, I really did feel like that was the other case where I felt like we're going to win this match. We, you know, we can't, we can't lose. I can completely mess up and we're not going to lose. So best opponent you ever faced individually team. Team, I would say the Stanford team, that 88 Stanford team, you know, that we talked about earlier would have had to have been the best team that, that we played against. The There were some really good Southern Cal teams that we played against too, but uh, a lot of good individuals, uh, Michael Pernforce, John Isner, you know, both of whom played at Georgia and have done amazing on the pro tour, Steve Johnson, uh, a lot of great individuals. Best opposing tennis player, college tennis player. The guy that beat us all the time is, and probably hurt me more than anybody else would have been Steve Johnson at Southern Cal. Isner was a great player, as you might imagine, at Georgia. But, you know, Witten was older, and Jesse Witten was actually a little bit better than Isner in college. So, uh, But Johnson, you know, he, he beat us in at least – four NCAA indoor and outdoor championships always in the quarters. You know, I mean, we had final four teams were, were it not for him. We would have probably gone to at least two final fours. Toughest loss in your career. Um, a lot of them. Um, you know the the night my son got hurt at Baylor, you know, and we lost. That was that was a tough loss, but much more on a personal level. Uh, I would say one of the toughest losses was uh, in uh, 2009. You know, when we were back on you know being a top 12, top 15 team, and we lost to Wake Forest in the round of 32. Um, uh, my what I always tried to do with my season is I always tried to overschedule dramatically. You know, there were there were years that we would be we would play thirty matches and twenty two of them against teams in the top thirty five. You know, because I I've really felt like okay, I'm a good practice coach, but my guys are going to learn a lot more playing the matches, you know, let me coach them in the matches. So I always tried to schedule a lot of great teams. The, to, to answer your question, the toughest weekend I probably ever had was we played the national team indoors, and you can't lose your way out. You know, there's a consolation. You know, they bring all the top 16 teams together. And we lost the first, first match of the tournament, the round of 16, seven, six, and a third. Okay. Heartbreaker, you know, because we're at home. And I remember telling the players, look, the next time this comes up, we're going to win. This great experience, don't let it bother you. We play Pepperdine the next day, okay? We lose the last match on 7-6 and a third, the exact same situation. 
Okay. <laughs> the exact, exact same deal that you've just told them, you know, we played the third match. We played Notre Dame. We lose seven, six in the third, the last match on, you know, so this would be like losing in triple overtime, three straight games. <laughs> you know, if you're in basketball, that was the longest weekend because I remember thinking, you know, two things. One, I don't know if these guys are ever going to win a big match again after this too. I don't know if I'm a good enough coach to get them over, get them over this hump. And by the way, I'm all out of speeches. You know, I'm all out of talks. Yeah. Accomplishment you're most proud of from your career. Um, I would say, you know, and I think this is different than a lot of people. You know, we went to 11 Sweet 16s, and, uh, you know, we had all those consecutive NCAA appearances. And I would think just the fact that we were that consistent is probably the, the thing I'm most proud of. You know, I think it's one thing to win those championships, and I love that and I understand everything but i think it's really important to be there be in that position a lot and i always wanted to what i tried to do and i'm sorry i got lost my train of thought what i always tried to do is i always tried to go to the round of 16 and then saw just see what happened from there and you know so the fact that we went to 11 sweet 16s means a lot to me because i was at kentucky 30 years you have to basically take out the first five so of those 25 years you know we were in the sweet 16 11 times and we were top 15 you know another six times so so we were top 15 you know maybe 17 of those 25 years let's talk a little bit about some of the guys that sure got you where you are today uh, let's start with Paul Varga. Paul Varga, one of the most charismatic people that I ever coached. Um, I did not recruit him. You know, he was he was uh, he had played his freshman year at Kentucky when I, uh, actually his sophomore year at Kentucky when I came in. Um, he had to make a decision whether he was going to go into focus on the tennis or focus on the business, and. Because uh, he, he was obviously a very smart guy, he ended up deciding he was going to play tennis and do everything. He came in and talked to me and said, "I don't know if I can go where I want to go in business if I'm playing all this tennis, you know. And this is just a different program since you got here, you know. I came here because I didn't want to work this hard, uh, you know, essentially. And so he decided he wanted to play the tennis. Uh, is now the CEO at Brown Foreman." When he got in the Kentucky Business Hall of Fame, he invited me to come to hear his speech. And, you know, one of the things he said was, one of the biggest things in my life was playing tennis at the University of Kentucky. I learned how to resolve conflicts. I learned how to deal in international markets. You know, I learned how to manage my time. I learned how, and it was a very well thought out speech. And one that I guarantee has never been given at the Gatton School of Business before that. So that's that's the day that just really meant a lot to me. Greg Van Inberg. Greg Van Inberg was our first big recruit. Uh, he came from the Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy. Um, everybody really wanted him. And Nick Bolletary, name you're probably familiar with, you know, the greatest tennis coach of all time, was a friend of mine. And we were in the locker room. 
and he basically told Greg, he goes, look, you're going to go to Kentucky, forget all the other places, you're going to go to Kentucky, or you're going to walk over there to the dorm, you're, you're going to pack your clothes up, and you're going to go back to Naples because I ain't working with you anymore if you don't go to Kentucky. So that's how we got him. He became our first All-American in singles. Um, really built our program around him. Then he ended up going to the Wimbledon semifinals in, in doubles. You know, big, big time, big time talent. Rick Benson. Rich Benson, probably the nicest person ever played for us. Great kid. Three-time All-American in doubles for us, uh, which we still only have had. Uh, Rich is the only three-time All-American in doubles for us. John Yancey. You know, I lied when I said, you know, we only had one guy who was top five in the country. You know, John Yancey actually was top five in the country, too. Um, and that in that 92 championship, you know, he was a big key to that. He was the number one player on that team, two-time All-American, uh, just a great player who, uh, you know, you have, you know, it has to be a little cyclical because you have, 4.5 scholarships. So he was that next wave of players that took over for Benson and Vandenberg and uh, great, great competitor. Cedric Kaufman. He was the next wave. Uh, he was really the first player to ever play number one for us for four straight years under my coaching. Now, other people, you know, before me, they had some guys like Tommy Wade who did. But Cedric, uh, well, he played number one his last three years. But he was a guy that for three years was top eight in the country, um, really was one of the best team leaders I've ever had. He went to two uh, two national finals, not NCAA outdoors, but and was a three-time All-American in singles. You know, I just saw what I liked so much in him. He, I made him my assistant coach. And then, you know, when I left, you know, one of the reasons why I left was I want, I really wanted him to have the opportunity to be the head coach and see how that would go. Carlos Dorada. Carlos Dorada, you know, played with Kaufman and uh, was an NCAA finalist, was our first NCAA finalist in 2000. He was an unseated guy because he was kind of all over the board. And, and Dan McGill, who we talked about earlier, you know, walked over to me the day of the final and he says, Dorada's the first unseated finalist since, you know, who God only knows what year that was. But, but in 2000, he got to the finals for us. Big breakthrough for us because uh, we'd had some guys in semis and, you know, but Carlos was the first guy to be our NCAA finalist. And Oscar, I remember walking off the court that day. He lost. He actually got hurt in that match, hurt his back. And I remember walking off that court and saying, you know, gosh, what a missed opportunity because we'll never be back in an NCAA final. You know, I mean, I coached, I've coached 20 years, you know, to get to this one and we'll never be back. And uh, two years later, Jesse Witten in 2002 <laughs> goes to the NCAA final. He lost, but he was the fourth, only the fourth freshman ever to go to the NCAA final. And that's Jesse Witten. Yes. Uh, he's also one of only 15 players in the history of college tennis 
to be a four-time singles All-American. Um, he's the most talented player I ever coached, and there's just no question about that. Um, he uh, lost to Djokovic in the third round of the U.S. Open in four sets. So he was that, that level of player. And for four years, he was just a, amazing, great competitor, Was came in as a freshman, very much a, uh, had some temper problems and, you know, on his own, you know, I would like to think I helped, you know, but, but really on his own, he became one of the very best players in college tennis. Bruno Agostinello. I hope I didn't yeah, butcher no, that too Bruno, badly. Bruno Agostinelli, and the reason he was important to our program was we we had kind of missed on some guys, you know, uh, misevaluated some guys. And Bruno um, was an amazing kid. You know, he's from Niagara Falls, Canada, and he was just somebody that I watched play for an hour, and I thought, I've got to have this guy. You know, I've got to have him. He just, there's just something about him. And he ended up being number two in the country. Great, uh, great, uh, great perspective on tennis. And, you know, because he wasn't one of these tennis brats who grew up, you know, groomed for the pro tour and everything. He, he was somebody who really understood where he was and what he needed to do to win um, he turned our program around. He was the one that started us again. He was a senior when Quigley and Musilek were were um, freshmen. He was a senior. And those guys, Eric Quigley would not have been who he was without Bruno. Eric Quigley. Yeah. Quigley, uh, somebody I knew since he was 10 years old. You know, my daughter and he were both number one in the state. And so we would actually share rides and stuff to Georgia because I was coaching. I couldn't do it. And his mom was working, so she couldn't always do it. So we would share rides when he was 10, 11, 12 years old. So I got to know him very well. Um, one of the really good people in college tennis. And if, if, if I could, you know, I think had he been a little more single-minded on just succeeding you know, he would have maybe done a little better on the pro tour. He did good. I mean, he did really well. He was top 300 in the world, top 200 in doubles. But when I recruited him, I thought he would be a really good two, three player for us. And he walked on campus the first day, hit some balls with Bruno Agostinelli. And I told my assistant, I said, you know, Quigley's as good as Bruno and Bruno's two in the country. And, you know, you know, cause you don't really know until you, you see him just, you know, blowing through people and you don't really know who's going to be great, but Quigley was great. And, uh, a three time all American for us in singles, a two time all American in doubles. And beyond that, a, a way better person. And at, at the hall of fame thing on September 21st, you know, you'll just see what a great person he is. He just oozes character. Alex Musilek. Yeah, he was Tonto to Quigley, you know, being the Lone Ranger. Uh, he played number two the whole time, and he would tell me, you know, Coach, I'm better than Quigley. You know, if I'm great, if you would just give me any kind of chance at all, and I would say, you know, you know, you might be right, but 
Quigley's three in the country. I don't know. I don't know that you're going to get an opening here. You know, he's three in the country and has been top eight in the country. You know, for the last three years and is very good indoors. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get all that, but you know, you have to know. I mean, you know tennis. You've been doing this a long time. You have to know I'm a better player than him. <laughs> If we played anywhere, he said he would always tell me if we played anywhere but on that indoor court right there in the Hill Hillary J. Boone Center, you know, if we played in Turkey, if we played in France, if we played anywhere, you'd you have to know I would win, you know. And I said, You it's possible you're right, but here's the deal. We're playing half of our matches on that indoor court right there, you know, so I'm not making a move. Uh Anthony Rossi was also on that team. And that's the yeah. next one. Yeah, he was also on that team. Um, he was a guy that told me he, he was the key to us winning in 2012. He played number three on that team. Uh, just a great player. And he the what what's interesting about him is he told me, you know, uh, on his visit, I'm going to go to San Diego. And I'm, I'm either going to go to San Diego or San Diego State because I just like the lifestyle out there. And I just feel like it – it, it, I'm just going to be so much more comfortable out there. And I said, wow, you know, you seem like you're so competitive. I wouldn't think you, I would think you'd want to play on a top 10 team and have a chance to win a national championship. And he said, ah, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not there yet. And it took him a month and he called me back and he said, you know, look, I'm going to come to Kentucky and I'm going to try it for a year. And if not, and I'm going to transfer out there if it, if it's, just too much pressure, just too much work, just too much. And he ends up winning the SEC indoor championship for all the best players in the conference play. He won that, uh, was an All-American for us. <laughs> you know, just just an interesting, you know, because we were that close to not winning it in 2012 is him feeling like there's more Frenchmen in San Diego and more women, more French women. Jambi com so charismatic, very, very talented. I think he's got a good chance of doing well on the pro tour. He lost over here this week in the pro tournament, but you know, he's another one. He's two time all American and, uh, was going to go to Illinois. Didn't get in school. You know, we just kind of hung around and he fell in our laps a little bit and good thing that he did. Is there anything you would do differently if you had your career to live over? Yeah, the one thing that I think I would do differently is uh, uh, while I, I wanted to win and I wanted to, I would have, I think I would have set the bar a little higher for me. You know, I wanted to be in the Sweet 16 and see what happened. I would have loved to have been more of saying, hey, we're going to the Elite Eight and see what happens. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like, I held myself back a little bit there. And, you know, looking back on that, that's something I regret. Cause Other than your family, who's been the most important, most influential person in your life? You know, I've had, I've had several people who've, you know, really taken an interest in me. Coach Claiborne being one, you know, and I know we talked about Mr. Hagan uh, earlier, but, you know, none of this happens without – Mr. Hagen, if, if, if I don't intersect with his life, you know, none of it happens. And Hillary, you know, is another one that, you know, if, 
you know, if my life doesn't intersect with him, if I don't go out to Wimbledon Farm that day, you know, none of the none of this happens over here, you know, because we would have been years away from getting a facility at that point in time. You know, Mr. Newton, you know, that was not on his radar, you know, to to help help your sport in that way. If you did it, he was very supportive. But um, And then uh, early in my career, there was a guy named Chuck Creasy who got me the job as the U.S. national coach for the summer. So, and that, that made a big difference in, you know, the way I saw myself as a coach. And, you know, I, I think had I not been able to do that national team, you know, I don't know that I would have done what I did at Kentucky. When somebody writes the 150-year history of University of Kentucky tennis. I thought you were going to say your obituary. <laughs> when someone writes your... <laughs> no, no, not that. But how would you like to be remembered? You know... I really would I really would like for people to say this was a really good person, you know, who tried to do everything the right way. There was no scandals, there was no uh, you know, he re- you know because uh, you know when I first started coaching the SEC and in uh, the pack in the Pac-10 out there at that time, it was really the wild west, you know, they were paying players, you know, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff going on and that, you know, we never were involved with. And uh, so I'd like for people to think of me as somebody who really tried to do everything, you know, not perfect, but trying to do everything the right way. Very important to me to, uh, you know, I took it very seriously being the, the coach at the University of Kentucky at a time when, you know, a lot of people weren't taking those positions that, that serious. Not here, but across the country. You know, I took it very serious. I was the coach at Kentucky. That that was a real responsibility that I had to the people of the state, to the players in the state. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. If you missed part two of Oscar's conversation with Coach Emery, you can go back and listen to part one. That's episode 68 of Conversations. That episode, along with the other past episodes, can be found at oscarcombs.com. Conversations is also available in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe for free. Make sure you follow the old man on Twitter for the latest on the cats. He's at Wildcat News. For Coach Dennis Emery and Oscar, I'm Bill Robinson, and I thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.